This week's parasha is Parashas Kedeshim. It's actually Parashas Achrimais Kedeshim, but we're going to be discussing Parashas Kedeshim. And in Perak Yotes Pasuk Yodalid, the Torah tells us, Very well-known Pasuk, that you should not put a stumbling block in front of somebody who is blind. And then the Pasuk says, V'areisa melekecha ani Hashem. But rather, you should fear Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and I am He, I am Hashem. Rashi brings from Atayos Kehanim, Lufneiver leisitein michsho, Lufnei hasuma bedavar leisitein etza sheina haygenes loy. It doesn't mean literally that you shouldn't go around when you see a blind person and put a brick in front of him to make him trip. Obviously, that would not be a good thing to do either. But what the Pasuk is trying to convey is a much more broad warning that if you see somebody who is blind in the sense that he is a little naive or he's not knowledgeable, he doesn't know the right path to take, and he comes to you thinking that you are going to be able to help him and to guide him, and to share your wisdom and your insight into his particular problem. Don't give him an Eitzah that's not appropriate. Don't give him a bad Eitzah. Make sure that an Eitzah that you give to somebody when he comes to you for one is sound and good. al for example, says Rashi, don't say, Mechar Sotcha V'Kachlucha if a person comes to you and, you know, is talking about finances and he happens to own a nice piece of real estate and you happen to want that piece of real estate, so don't say to him, I have a great idea for you. Real estate, bad. Try to sell, un- unload that piece of real estate and instead buy a nice donkey for that, for that money that you get. And he says, well, that's okay if that's what you say, but like, how am I going to, uh, you know, who should I sell the real estate to? He says, well, you know, I don't know. If you want, I'll do you a favor. I'll buy it from you. That's an Eitzah The guy came to you for advice. The guy was blind in the sense that he didn't know right from wrong. He didn't, he's not very business savvy like you are. And he asked you for a good, sound piece of business advice, and you took advantage of him. You who wanted that piece of land that he owned, you told him, you know, sell the land, I'll buy it, you buy yourself a nice donkey and let's call it a day. That is in violation of this Pasuk in this week's parasha of Lufnei Ive Leisitein Michshel. And then the Pasuk says, V'yareisa me'lekecha, and you have to fear Hashem. So Rashi says, Why does the to say, Because who knows? Are you going to be able to really point the finger at the guy who gave the eight sons and say, You know what? You really messed that guy over. You know, you took advantage of him. What right did you have to do that? And you're a terrible individual. The guy will respond and say, no, I meant it for his best. I knew that he couldn't take care of that piece of land. I thought that, you know, donkeys are going to go up in value, real estate's going to go down in value. I had to make up a story. That's why the terrorist says, the erasing the 
Lefichach Nehmer by the Aresim Lekecha Hamakir Machshuv Eisecha Kedush Farko is the only being in the world that's able to really discern what your true intent was. No one else can. No one can sue you and say in a court of law that you knew better. And I can always say that I, I was a tzaddik. I meant it for the guy's best. I really thought that this would be good for him. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows in your heart of hearts what your real intention was and how you gave him a terrible aches on purpose. And so you have to fear HaKadosh Baruch Hu because sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only being that will hopefully stop a person from dispensing aches that are not that are not sound. And Rashi says that whenever you find something which is muscle lay that nobody's going to know about except for you and God, the Pasuk often says, Sometimes in Yerushalayim, when you, know, when you want to protect yourself from yourself, you need Yerushalayim, because HaKadosh Baruch always knows everything. And even if you could fool other people, you can never fool yourself. And you should know yourself what your intent was, and you should know that the Rebbein Shalom knows that as well. The Chinuch and Mitzvah Reish Lamed Beis on this mitzvah or this lav says, Don't trip up people and give them bad advice. Straighten them out. Set them on the right path. When somebody comes to you for an Eitzah, put them on the right course. And what you honestly believe is good advice and is the right thing to do. If somebody is blind in a certain matter and he doesn't know and he wants advice from somebody that's enlightened and he comes to you, don't give him that bad Eitzah. And the beauty of the Chinuch is he gives us almost always a Shayrish mitzvah, some understanding that we can be able to ethically understand why HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands us to do certain mitzvahs and to avoid certain Averis. He says, The Shayrish HaMitzvah Yadua Ki Tikkun HaRelam V'Yishuvahu L'Hadrich B'nei Adam V'Losha Yislam B'chol Ma'asei Meitzatayva The way that the world operates is by people coming to other people for advice. I am not knowledgeable in a lot of things, so if I don't know something, I go to an expert in that field, or I go to somebody that I consider to be an expert in that field. So if I need ATSIS with my taxes, I'll go to an accountant. If I need uh, ATSIS with a legal issue, I'll go to a lawyer. If I need ATSIS about a medical situation, I'll go to a doctor. If I need ATSIS in Hashkafa, I'll go to a Rebbe. And that's the way the world works. And if I go to people and I can't really trust them because I always have to be worried that he's giving me a bad Eitzah, then the world will come to a screeching halt and nobody will know what to do. And people will do the opposite of what they're supposed to do every single time because they're not knowledgeable. And so in order to ensure that the world continues to go on a proper course, People will come to you throughout your life and ask you your advice. And when they do, you have to give them the best advice that you possibly can. Don't give them anything that could remotely 
look like something that's inappropriate for them to do, that you're giving them the wrong advice. Rabbi Yaina in Shari Tshuva and Shari Gimel, Semenun Gimel, also says, the Chayav Adam Lachshav, Machshavis, Ulahalis, Eitzes, Hagunais, and Mesukanis, Lachavere, Vizaecha, Meikri, Darke, Gemilas, Chasadim. You know, Klai Yisrael is very, very good with Gemachs. Gemachs is basically a free loan fund. And there's all types of Gemachs out there. The most elementary type of Gemach, and that's what the Chavitz Chaim writes about at length in his Sefer Abbas Chesed, is a money Gemach. That people are always in need of money, they need to borrow money, and so people that are very kind and nice, they dedicate their life or part of it to opening up a gemach. They, let's say, put a few thousand dollars into it, and then they lend it out to people on a per-need basis. People know that you have a gemach. They come to you, and they borrow it, of course, without any interest, and, you know, you're supposed to pay it back or give them head checks. That's one type of gemach. It's very vital. I heard once a a story from a, a good friend of mine that there was a like a group of children on Shabbos after the Suda, by day, they, they were playing Monopoly with each other. Playing Monopoly with one another, and, and you know whether Monopoly you could play on Shabbos or not, but you have to ask your local Orthodox rabbi. But they were playing Monopoly on Shabbos. And normally, how long does a game of Monopoly take? It takes an hour, two hours maybe, and then it's over. So the father went to sleep Shabbos afternoon, leaving his kids leaving these kids playing Monopoly, and then like he woke up a few hours later, he learned, he comes back in, they're still playing the same game of Monopoly. He says, it's already like six hours, like what are you doing all afternoon with Monopoly? He says, oh, didn't anyone win yet? So one kid like innocently looks up, he says, yeah, you know, there was, there were, like there were, one of the kids, they ran out of money, so they should have, they should, the game should have been over, at least for him. He says, well we started a gamash. And we, we all pulled our monies together and we lent him money so he can continue playing. That's, that's what Klai Yisrael does. Klai Yisrael does. We, we were very, very good with gemachs. There was, uh, you know, there, somebody told me in Eretz Yisrael, there's so many gemachs out there. Like, not just for money, they have gemachs for lending out, um, you know, a brisk pillow and they have gemachs for lending out Fillin and they have Gamas lending Arabina Times Fillin and McGill's Esters and Purim costumes and, and, and everything that you could want, somebody thought of making a Gamach. And so somebody said, What am I going to make a Gamach? He said, I have a great idea. I'm going to make a Gamach. I'm going to lend out lists of Gamachs in town. There's so many Gamachs, you need like a, 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 you know, like a, ditch, a, a, a directory of Gamachs. There's so many, whatever you could possibly need, flowers. You know, for a simcha, they lend out like these silk flowers at gemachs, and and on my block alone, there's one girl, one woman that has a gemach for shaitos. She takes women's old shaitos and she they fix them up, and then when people are in need of a shaitol, they you know they give them to them. There's a, a um, one woman has a um, wedding gown gemach. One woman has a uh, a children's. Chasna dress gemach, you know, when you're when you're making a chasna, let's say for a, a sister or an aunt or whatever, you know, the little kids need fancy dresses. So to go to a store and buy is a lot of money. So she has like all sizes, like a hundred very nice gowns, and people come and they borrow it and they return it. Mikam please 
So one of the types of gemachs that people could do, says Rabbeinu Yainas, the Rabbeinu Yainas gemach. Rabbeinu Yainas says, you know what a great gemach is? He says, a person has to think about good eitzes, that when people come to him, he knows exactly what to tell them. He says, that's one of the great gemachs out there, that I could be a guidance gemach. And in order to do that, I have to be knowledgeable. So let's say people are coming to me for shyness in business. So I have to be, you know, I have to brush up on my business. I have to know what's going on out there. I have to know what the good stocks are. I have to know what the good bonds are. I have to know, I have to be knowledgeable. So when people come to me, and people are coming to me, let's say, for these types of things, I have to know what to answer them. Or people come to me on, for medical advice. I have to know who the good doctors are, who the not good doctors There's... If that's what I'm supposed to be doing, then I have to make sure to pool as much knowledge in this department as I possibly can so that I could do the ultimate chesed with people that come. It's brought down from the Chazanish that he used to spend a lot of his time, and his time was extremely, extremely valuable. The Chazanish, you know, in one minute he could, he could finish him a sechta probably. He's such a brilliant person his svarim and his chidushim and his, what he accomplished for Kali Yisrael. So every minute was precious to him, but yet he gave endless amounts of time when people would come to ask him shilas. And they would ask him shilas not just in halacha, but in everything. There was tremendous stories told about the Chazanish, how he knew, like, medicine, and he knew surgery, better than, like, the biggest doctors. Like, people would come to him and say, my doctor said I need to do surgery on this and this thing, and what, what is the Chazanish thing, and he'd, he'd look at him or whatever, and he'd right away figure out the doctor has it all wrong, he diagnosed it wrong, you don't do this, instead of doing that, you're supposed to do that, and they'd go back to the doctor, the doctor took like another x-ray, and they saw the Chazanish was right. Many, many stories like this. And the Chazanish was involved in giving eights about Shiduchim, about Parnasa, and he said about himself, that why am I giving up so much of my time for Aetis? Time that I really need for myself, but I'm dispensing Aetis because if I would have money, I'd be able to make my mitzvah of Gemilos Chasadim with money. If I'm a millionaire and people come to me, I'm generous, I'd keep writing out the checks, so unfortunately I don't have any money. Chazanish was very simple, very poor. And so he says, my Gemilos Chasadim without money is advice. That's how I dole out Camilo's Chesed, by giving my wisdom. If I'm a wise person, I give out advice to people. But the advice that is given has to be good advice. Just some to give any old advice that may not be true, and may not be not useful, and it may be wrong, it might be dangerous, that's a problem. You know, it's not just advice. Let's say somebody's going to a doctor and ask them medical advice. And the doctor like gives them like a shvach answer. It's not just that you're in violation of the possible of Naivale Site Mitchell. You might be killing the person. You might be over Ritzicha as well. If you're not careful when you're giving out advice to people and you're causing that person, you know, potentially to be harming himself, that's a much graver violation than just with Naiva. You know, there's a, a mission I think at the end of Kedushin that says that um, that the best of doctors, even Pashas and the Mishnahs, doctors are all going to Even the best of doctors, they're going to Gehenna. So the Tiferes Israel says that's not the Pshat in the Mishnah. He says that 
Agav, there was a, a doctor that once came to Rav and had problems with his mission. He said, listen, I'm giving my life, you know, to heal people. I'm up day and night, like, working on people and helping them. And try. And the Mishnah then comes along and says, I'm going to Gehenna. That's what I have to look forward to. After this whole long life of helping people, what do I have to look forward to? Gehenna? So Rav Shah says, no, 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 you got the wrong shot in the Mishnah. It says that Tarev Shebaraitim, the good doctors, the, the good the doctors, the doctors are like a good Neshama doctor, a doctor that's really a wonderful type of doctor, well, Gehenna. He's not going to be comfortable, you know, sitting in Elam Haba when he knows that there are people suffering in Gehenna with all types of burn wounds and, you know, burn victims and, you know, all types of Yisurim going on there. He's going down to Gehenna to, to administer medication there. He's going to make sure that they're okay. But the Tiferes Israel is a different shot. He says that Dafka, the Taif should be right here. It's not. Most doctors, they're going straight to Elamad, but they do a good job. They help people. Taif should be right The top tier of doctors, all doctors, you know, they want to be on the, you know, you know, the New York Magazine top 50 doctors in New York or whatever, or U.S. News and World Report. I have yet to go into a doctor's office, by the way, and he is not in the top you know, 50 doctors in one of these magazines. I, I'm sure that they just pay for it and, you know, and that's how they get into it. Um, but, Taif Shavarayfum again, Dafka, those top-tier doctors, they're going to get him, says it's first. So you know why? It says because they do something very bad. If, let's say, you're a top-tier cardiologist, and, you know, everybody knows, and certainly he himself knows, that he's the best. He's the doctor, the go-to doctor, you know, in the world, in this field of, you know, cardiology. And I get, I'm that doctor, let's say, and you come to me, and I see something on the x-ray, and I really don't know what it is. I have no idea, you know, what to do with this. It. a weird heart condition that I just don't, I've never seen it before. I don't know, should I operate, should I not? So if I'm a regular doctor, I could, what do I do? I, you know, I email that x-ray to, uh, you know, to other doctors and get their advice, get some consensus and see maybe they have more experience in it, less experience in it. You know, maybe they can help me out and give me a good aid to what to do. But if I'm a top, if I'm the doctor, who am I going to go to? I'm God. I, I, somebody told me once that they went to a doctor, a very hush of a doctor, and I forgot in which field, I, pro- I think it's, it was probably in oncology. And the person, the doctor Paskin, the certain sock about this, about his condition, not a good sock. So the, the patient said to the doctor, um, doctor, I hope you don't mind, but I'd like to get a second opinion. So the doctor starts laughing. The doctor said to him, says, there's only one person in the whole world that knows more than I do. I don't know who you're going to for a second opinion. There's two people in the world that, that, that know I'm one of them and God is the other. So unless you're going to God himself, there's no one in the world, you're not going to find another oncologist that's going to be able to know more than I. That's what he said to, to my friend. It's not a tremendous gaiva. But that gaiva is lethal. It's not just on gaiva. If you and I have gaiva, it's one thing. But if a doctor has gaiva, it's terrible. Because he's not going to be able to consult with people because he feels he's so great at it that it's a prisus hakavit. It's like demeaning if I have to go and ask somebody else what they think about that. What's that going to say about me? What's that doctor going to think? What's the nurses going to think? What are all the people you know in the field going to think? They're going to think that that doctor is now number one. So I'm not going to ask anyone's advice if I'm the type of I'm going to kill the guy probably because I don't. 
I didn't ask anyone else. Other people might not be as great as you in one thing, but maybe in another thing, maybe they've seen something that you don't, that you haven't. And so it's not for they that are going to look ahead. And that's why it's very important. You know, when people go to doctors for advice, the doctor has to make sure that he really knows his stuff because if he doesn't, and he's just like, you know, he's fudging, so then he can mamish kill the person. But the same is true with everything. If, I, if people come to me for financial advice, and I really don't know, like maybe I've been, you know, I used to be good in business, or I used to be an investor, and now I, I haven't for the past X number of years, and they're coming to me, and I'm like too gyvedic to say I really don't know. So I'll tell you, yeah, invest in, uh, I don't know, you know, invest in, uh, in, in horse whips, in buggy whips, you know, like that was like years ago, like no one does that anymore. I don't know, just do it. He's going to put his money in buggy whips and, and he's going to lose all his money. Right? I don't know. You know, what, I, what, what it was cool four years ago is not cool today anymore. Maybe there's new, there's a lot of new companies, a lot of new technologies, just because you have to know what you're saying. If you don't do it, you're, mom, you're, you're stealing the guy's money. You're killing the guy. You're making him, you know, you're taking away everything from him, potentially. The same thing is true socially. If a person's in need of good advice, you give him bad advice, you know, you could really kill a social life. Shidduchim and whatever, you know, it's very, it's a, it's a big achrayas to give advice. We think it's just, okay, fine, I'll tell you something, you know, here or there. You have to think about what you're saying because advice is something that's really trying, you know, to set a person straight and if you're not careful, you could set him in the exact opposite direction. And whatever bad situation you may be in today, you can make it worse. Now, who should you go to if you need advice? If you do need advice, obviously, if we're talking about medical advice and there's no chazanishas around, so you go to the best doctor that you can, and just so that you should know, and I've told many guys in Yeshiva about this, there is a great organization um, in, in Muncie. You pass by it, I think it's on the 59, but you can look it up or I could give you the number. It's called ECHO, E-C-H-O. And if you ever need anything, if you ever, it's important for people out there and tell any time also to know this, if you ever need a good doctor, let's say if you or somebody that you know has a, has a medical condition and you need to have the top doctors, how do you know who the top doctor is? How do you know who the top doctor is in cardiology, in oncology, in, you know, in, for your back, for your feet, for your head, for your, for your ears, for, Who's the best doctor? I don't know. You just randomly open up a phone book and you know, and, or Google like doctors and, and, and whatever the first name is or a Jewish sounding name. You know, that's who you call. So there's an organization, Muncie, that Mamish does research with feedback, and they know the top doctors in the na- you know in wherever it has to be, or if it's in Manhattan, if it's if it's you know if it's in Pittsburgh, if it's in Chicago. And they'll send you exactly to that doctor. They know the doctors and they have a relationship with the doctors. And it's a vital tool. If Loyalena, we need anything medical related, you should call that organization. They'll tell you, you know, based on what type of insurance you have and what type of, you know, need that, you, that you're looking for, they will shop for you with the best doctor. And it's so important to know because, you know, you want to go to the best doctor. You don't want to go to a shlocky doctor. Sometimes I'm going to a doctor. Why are you going to that? Well, he's close. And we live, you know, we live a stone's throw away from Manhattan where you have the best doctors in the world. People are flying in from all over the world to go to doctors in Manhattan. You're going to a guy in Borough Park because he's down the block from you. If not, it doesn't make sense. 
Sometimes the guy in Bar Park happens to be the best actor, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And if you can go to Manhattan and get a really top-tier doctor, it's much better. So if you need medicine, that's who to go to. Lawyers also, you ask around, you get a, you get a good, good lawyer if you need a real, if you have a sorrow. But let's say some to get a good Aitza for life. You have an eight, so you don't know you don't know what to do, you know, career wise, you don't know what to do, something with Shidduchim, something with Parnasa, something with raising your children, who do you go to? So the Mishnah and Ave says in Parakvav, Kala Isaac Bataira Lishma Zaikal Dvarim Harbay. Whoever is Isaac Bataira Lishma, if a person sits and learns Taira Lishma, Lashem the Taira itself. He's to many, many things. And one of the things the Mishnah says is, From a person like that, you can get Hanah. Advice, wisdom, counsel. That's who you should go to. If you have an Eitz that you have to ask, you go to a person that's Eitzik, Vatayim, Lishma. This is something that is called, in the vernacular, it's called Das Tairah. Das means that if a person's mind is molded by Tyra, all he eats all day is Tyra, all he drinks all day is Tyra, all he sleeps is Tyra. When he walks, when he talks, from the moment he wakes up to the moment he... Tyra, Tyra, Tyra. Decades and decades and decades of unvarnished, uninterrupted Tyra. His mind is Tyra. And when you come over to him and you ask him an Eitzah, you know that whatever he answers you is what the Torah would answer you. Because he is the embodiment of Torah. That's the beauty of having a daily show. I'll give you an example. You know, people go to Reb Chaim Kanievsky or Steinemann. These are people that, you know, they've been sitting day and night. They're, you know, I think Reb Chaim must be in his 80s. Reb Steinemann, I think, Kanayinara is over 100 these are people that have been sitting in B'nai Brak. They haven't been sitting, you know, they, in B'nai Brak. Yaima Malayla, learning and steiging and harving, giving shiurim, writing Chidushet Taira, talking and learning, getting a Messiah, you know, the Chazinish and the Briskarov, and, you know, tremendous Messiah, steeped in, you know, that when you go to these people and you ask them what their Das is, their Das is Das Taira. Their Eitz is going to be an Eitz that's, that's one that the Torah, that the Rabbi Shalom himself would give you. Rav Steinemann came to America about, I would say, about 18 years ago, maybe, yeah, roughly 18 years ago, I would say. He came together with a Gar Rebbe. It was a huge thing, because Rav Steinemann had never left Eretz Yisrael since he arrived in Eretz Yisrael. He was born in Brisk. And, but since he came from Lita, from Brisk and Lita, he... He came to Israel. I don't think he ever left. He may have, I think he may have li- lived in Switzerland for a while, but uh, since he came to Israel, I don't think he ever left. And he agreed very reluctantly, because people told him that the, the Yidden in America need chizuk, and could you come to America? So him and the Gareb came, and they gave chizuk, and they went around to the major yeshivas in America. And I know I was learning in Chaim Berlin at the time, where Steinman came to Chaim Berlin, I know he went to the Mirror in Brooklyn. I know that he went to Lakewood. And I think he went to Tells in Chicago. I think he went, they made the rounds. And the, the Gareb went to the Hasidish Meisters. 
So the story goes that when they were driving Rav Steinman to the airport from his simple home in Bnei Brak, so Rav Steinman was, again, he was a Yid that sat ala tayyab ala his whole life. He didn't know from anything. It's hard to imagine that a Yid like that still exists. He didn't know from anything. He doesn't know from, you know, nothing. And so the guy who's being driven in a car, it was like a new thing for him, like he's being driven in a car. And, you know, he was like observing like, a, like an alien that lands from Mars and has no idea like what's going on. He was like observing the guy driving the car and it was a stick shift car and he was like, you know, one hand on the steering wheel, one hand on the stick shift. And Rishayim is like looking at him, he says, like, he wanted to like help him. So Rishayim says to the guy, he says, you, you know, you, you, you drive, you, you, you do the steering wheel, you, you know, you, you lead the car, and I'll stir the coals. I'll be the one to stir the coals. He thought that the stick shift was like, there was, must be like coals, like a furnace underneath the car. And the stick shift is like, the guy's like mixing the coals up. He says, I'll do that. So, and then they, they went bite, and the guy's like, what? They went weiter, and then, you know, he's like, he saw the Yamagado from, you know, as you drive by, you know, Tel Aviv or whatever, you see, the, you see the water over there. So he says, would you mind pulling over, and I'd like to make the bracha, you know, it's the bracha that you make when you see the Yamagado. So the person's like, you, the rub hasn't seen the Yamagado. Like, you only make that bracha if you haven't seen it in 30 days. You haven't seen it in 30 days? He says, I haven't seen the Yamagado in 30 years. 30 years I haven't left B'nai Brak to see the Yamagadu. It's a person that's sitting on a Torah Shakua and learning for 100 years. He's been doing this. You go to such a person, you know, he's not going to, his mind is not influenced by the Velt. He's not going to think about this and that is mine. When you, when you ask Mashiach, this is the Urimitum and this is, this is the Torah This is the Nenemi Menu Eitz of the Sashiach. Rukhaim Kaniyev says the same thing. I'm going to ask you a person, he sits and learns Kula every single year. He makes a Siyam, I think we spoke about this recently, on Erev Pesach every year, while people are like, you know, like scrambling to find a kid that maybe learned Tainus, you know, so you can make a Siyam for Tainus Bukhairis. Reb Chaim Kanievsky makes a famous Siyam on Kula, on all basically, you know, Babli Yerushalmi, Sifra Sifri, Zayar, whatever, you name it, he's, he's done it over the course of 360, 354 days. When does he have a chance to write a svarim? You know, he has beautiful svarim, the, the time of the Krah, and, and Kirushim on, on Parak Shira, and on, on Bryce Lachla Mishkan, we have his Darach Amuna on Shvias, on, on, on Mitzvah Kirishvars, like a Mishnah Bura, like a, a multi volume, five, six volumes on just the Mitzvah Kirishvars. When does he have a time to write this? He's so busy finishing Kalatar Kula every year. He writes those svarim on Ibriyars gets an extra month on the calendar, that's when he writes his sarum. You didn't sit and learn day and night. They make time for us, you know, not for silly questions, not, for, not to waste their time, but if a person has a real question, you go to the Ormatuman. doesn't have to be them. It could be there are people in Southern America that are on that madrega. I don't know if I'm that Madriga, but they're also sitting and learning Shakua, Yan Malayla. But you have to be very careful. Rabbi used to say that the truth is, you could say to yourself, well, I also learn. I learn also, so maybe I also have Bas 
I might not be a Steinemann, I might not be a Steinemann, but I also, I learned Torah, maybe my mind is also. So Rabbi Chaim says, you're right. You do have Das Torah. He says, but your Das Torah is, is a, it's not complete, it's percentage. So let's say, you know, if a person learns 50% of the day, how about you should learn half a day Torah. So, so half of your Das is Das Torah. The other half is, is in Yanni Chayot. So, you know, you, you don't know. The odds are, you know, split in that case, that when you give an eighth, that's really what the Torah wants. Maybe it's the other side of you that's giving the eighth. Or if it's 20%, or if it's, 10, or if it's 70%. So obviously, you should try to find the person that's the most shakul in learning and ask him, because the more shakul in learning you are, if you can find something that's not much 100%, then that eighth that was given to you is 100%. But it's something that's very important for us to know, to try to find out, to try when you have a real major life decision to make, to try to go to somebody that's a real Adam Gadol, and that could really, you know, give you what the Torah wants from you. We always want to know, what, what does Hashem want? I don't know. We don't know. We, when, I don't, you know, when people come to me and say, like, you know, what does God want from me? I said, I, I wish I had that direct line of communication. I just don't know. I can't tell you that. I could tell you what I think he might want, but I, I don't know that for, for a fact. When G'dayli Yisrael are able to say something, and they say it with a certainty, then that's Dasaira. And so when you're looking for an Eitzah, the best thing is to find the Eitzah in the Torah itself. It's interesting, in, in Reb Chaim Elazhner's he writes, that there is an Eitzah, let's say you're not near Chaim Haniesti or Steinemann, you don't have like these or Matum to go to, but you want that Sarah. So Rav Chaim Malajner says that what you do is like this. He says you sit down with your Gemara for a few hours and you learn Basmada Atsuma that Mamish, you're like, you're completely immersed in learning. Your mind is 100% immersed in learning. And then when you pick up your mind, when you pick up your head from the Gemara after those amount of hours, and then you think of that Shiloh, the first thought that comes into your head, that's Tassayah. The problem with that Eitzah is that that might have worked for Chaim Malajna, Talmud of the Grah. But, you know, when we sit and learn, you know, our learning might not be on that Madrega. It might not be that our brain is completely able to be saturated in learning. You know, we're getting texts in the middle, and we're getting emails in the middle, and we're getting, you know, uh, you know, people are calling, people are schmoozing, people are... are mo- it's very hard to really, you know, completely be consumed by Taira that you're able to do this Eitzah of Rebchayim. Rebchayim used to be also, a tremendous Balitza. Rav Shach was also completely shakur in learning. I mean, if you read the stories about Rav Shach, um, you know, the way, like, during World War I, I think he was, uh, he was in hiding in a shul, and, uh, like, he would sleep on, on a bench, and there was, like, this woman that used to come and every night, like, you know, put a blanket over him, and you know, and maybe heat a little candle for him to have some warmth from, and yeah, he was so poor. He was, like, in hiding for over a year, and I think when he came out of hiding, he had, like, hair, like, 
like all the way down to a show. You didn't. No one could. They, it's hard to imagine such poverty and such and such uh, desperation. But that's what he lived through. He said he had one shirt, and so he would wear it the whole week. And on Shabbos, he would like somehow find some more Arab Shabbos. He'd wash it, and he'd stand on like the roof of the building and like and you know with his with just his tzitzis on and be able to, and an undershirt and be able to like you know hang it out to dry as best he could so that he could have something clean for Shabbos. He would be, you know, wearing his pants, yet they had no money. You know, we have like, you know, five pairs of pants and ten shirts, and they had no, he had one pair of pants, he said, and it had holes in it. It was so worn out, it had so many holes in it. So when he went, he once went to, I think, visit Chaim Eiser or something, and he like turned his pants around because he was so embarrassed that the front of his pants had, you know, was so, was so worn out that he wanted to look presentable, so he turned around his pants. But he said that he had that year when he was like in hiding, he had, I think, a Yavamas with him. He had one Gemara, and that was the Yavamas. And he says Yavamas was like always a Masechta that he like mastered. He owned, owned Yavamas. Because of that year he had nothing else, but he just completely immersed himself in Masechta's Yavamas, in hiding. Without food, without heat, without... He had Yavamas. Such a person, you know... Instinctively, his tire, his aitzes are tired to get But despite that, it's fascinating that Rav Shach, who was the busiest man in the world, he had thousands of talmidim, many yeshivas on his on his shoulders, and the entire Torah world, a political party, his own yeshiva, his own you know personal family, everything. He's very very busy. If somebody came to him with an aitzah. If somebody comes to me with an Eitzah, I try to, you know, give them the best Eitzah that I can. And, you know, I like to believe that they're good Eitzahs most of the time. Works out, hopefully. But Rav Shach, when people came to him for Eitzahs, he wouldn't just, like, sit back in his chair and say, you know, I'm pontificating and say, well, I think that you should do this and that. Rav Shach would actually... Go and do research. He would actually, if somebody would come to him and say, you know, I'm thinking about, I was offered a position, you know, to in, in a certain yeshiva. Should I take it or not? What is the yeshiva thing? So I would say, well, you know, what are they paying? What are they, you know, uh, you know, are you going to be able to learn a little bit? Is it going to, is it close? Do you have to move? You know, the basic questions to ask. If Shach says, let me think about it a little bit. And he didn't just think. He actually went on a bus. He didn't have a car. He took a bus to that yeshiva, wherever it might have been, like, uh, you know, on the other side of Eretz Yisrael. And he went into the yeshiva, and he talked to the boys in the yeshiva. He talked to the Anhalase yeshiva. He saw the type of, you know, how, how, you know, how the Gashmis was in the yeshiva, how the Ruchnis was in the yeshiva, the Ashkaf of the yeshiva. After, like, really doing due diligence on what was going on, the facts on the ground... Then and only then you'd go back, you'd go over to the guy and say, I think you should do this, I think you should do that. He didn't just rely on his das Torah. He actually went and to the nth degree, as busy as he was, he made time to ensure that the Eitzah that he was given was going to be ironclad. That's a goggle. That's what godless is. To be concerned. If somebody's coming to you for an Eitzah, you can't... Give him a mitchell. You have to make sure. So if you're and if you're if you're cutting corners and because you're too lazy to do that, then you maybe you shouldn't be giving aces. Giving aces means really thinking about what the person is saying and really 
commiserating with a person, really trying to get to the nth degree according to your own mind, to know what the person needs, what's going to be good for him. And that's what it takes. That's when you're, when you're looking for somebody to give you an eight, so that's what you should be looking towards. Let's say somebody comes to you or me for an Eitzah. Okay, now we're not G'dayla Yisrael. But let's say somebody, a roommate, a friend, a Talmud comes to you for an Eitzah. What are, what are the preconditions that you should, you know, be sorting out before you open your mouth to give out an Eitzah to somebody? Okay, so there's basically three things that you have to keep in mind. The first thing is from Rebbe Chanan. Rebbe Chanan says, that you have to give what's called full disclosure. Full disclosure means that if you have any negias whatsoever, then you have to tell the person that I might not be the right person to give you the eight because I have a certain I have a certain view that's colored by a certain personal, you know, thing that I have with what you're talking about. So you know, if Lamashal, somebody comes to me for an Eitzah, you know, about, you know, about a certain girl. He's going out with a girl, and, um, you know, and uh, he's going out with a certain girl, and, um, you know, he wants to know, you know, this is how the girl is. You know, he describes her. What do you think? Is it, do you think it's something that I should pursue? So, let's say I don't know the girl, but I do know, I do know her father. And I don't like her father. For whatever reason, I don't like her father. So, I'm going to probably, you know, steer the guy away. But the girl's not her father. The girl's a wonderful girl. I just happen to not like the father so much. So, I might subconsciously, you know, be sort of steering him away or, or, or tainting my advice based on my dislike of the father. So, Rebuchan would say, I think in that case, the person should listen. I'll give you my Eitzah, and I'm going to try to be as honest with you as I can, but I have to tell you something. I have a little Nagiyas over here, because there's something about her family that, that maybe rubs me the wrong way. It's not Nagiya, it's the girl, but I can't really be fair. I'll tell you if you want, if you still want me to talk, I'll talk, but it might be better to go to somebody else, you know, that, that, that doesn't have that Nagiyas towards this matter. Very important. You know, you could be sued, like in... In papers, sometimes you read in articles, like if, let's say, I don't know, you know, a certain, a certain newspaper is writing, let's say the Wall Street Journal is writing about, you know, a certain um, new technology that comes out. And they say, oh, it's the greatest thing in the world. If, let's say, the Wall Street Journal somehow has, you know, a, a vested interest in that technology, let's say they're an investor, or they own the company that made that technology, they have to, by law... They have to write somewhere in the article or in, in parentheses, full disclosure, the Wall Street Journal, you know, happens to own a share of this company. You have to know that because I might go and invest in that company. I didn't know the Wall Street Journal has some Nagias. And so if they don't, I could actually have a lawsuit, I think, against them because they're giving me an answer. That's not a Yenis. You're colored by your own vantage point, but it's not true. There, there's... There's missing something in your in your in your in the way that you're presenting it, and so when you're giving an eight and you have something against it, or let's say sometimes you know you're giving an eight. I, I have this all the time. Guys come to me and they say, uh, Rebbe, I'm thinking of you know after graduation, I want to instead of learning yeshiva, I want to go 
to another yeshiva. I want to go to Eretz Yisrael or whatever. So I'll say to them, listen. I said, well, you know, I have Nagiyas because I want you to stay in yeshiva. I love having you in yeshiva. I want you to stay. Now, once we're, once that's out in the open, now that you know that, now, you know, we can discuss yeshivas, but if you don't, you know, you have to know that, you know, I might have Nagiyas. I might somehow, you know, talk you out of going to another yeshiva because I want you here. That wouldn't be fair to you because maybe, objectively speaking, that's the best thing for you is to go to Eretz Yisrael or to go to another yeshiva. But if I do want to give you an eight, it has to be, you know, I have to be fair about it. I have to have full disclosure. And that's very, very important and critical when you're dispensing eights. Another thing that's very important when you're when somebody comes to you for an eight, is that you have to listen very, very well. You have to listen extremely well because a lot of the answer to the question that's being asked of you, you could really, if you're sensitive and you're perceptive, you'll hear what the person really needs or wants by the way he's asking the question. You know, I once was invited to a bris, and and the father of the son, of the of the baby got up to give his drush. You know, by a bris, generally speaking, the um, the, the, by, the the father the abia ben you know gives a drush and he gives a little zartayr and he gives hakar zartayr to the to the mother of the baby and to the parents or whatever his parents in laws sometimes um, and and. Um, what happened was that this person got up and he said, I have to give Akharis Hatayb to the Rabbanishan. He says, more than a regular father has to give Akharis Every time you have a baby, it's a tremendous nace. And you have to give Akharis Hatayb. But he says, for those of you who don't know, this is what happened. He says, we went for a sonogram at an early stage and it looked like there was something wrong with one of the kidneys. With one of the kidneys was like missing or something was deficient with one of the kidneys. They're able to see it at a very early... It's amazing. You know, these sonograms are able to see when the baby's like the size of a poppy seed. They're already able to see like what's going on inside the baby. And there was something wrong. Now, he said, you know, you might... This is all the, the, the father of this boy saying... Says now you might think, no, what's the big deal? So even if one, we, everybody knows that people give away their kidney, you know, you could survive. Human being can survive with just one kidney. The Rebbeinu Shalom gave us two, one to keep for ourselves, and one if the opportunity presents itself to do chesed with somebody else. But so even if he doesn't have one kidney, no, so, he, so that was the spare kidney, but he still has a good kidney. So don't worry, right? No, he says because the kidneys for some reason, are related to the ears. The kidney is anatomically somehow, and if you're pre-med, maybe you know what I'm talking about, but this is what he said. The doctor said that the kidney and the ears are closely related. And so if something is deficient in one of the kidneys, that means that one of his ears wouldn't function properly. And so it was a pachat pachadim, that we'd have a, a child that wasn't able to hear. And Baruch Hashem, at a later stage in the pregnancy, they were able to see that Baruch Hashem, the kidney, was okay. And now the baby was born, Liayinara, you know, perfect. And for that, I give tremendous hakar to the Rabbi Nishan. So, 
I was very inspired. When I, when I heard this vart, I had to read First of all, it was like amazing. The Rabbi Shalom is, Haiba Hashem Kitayv is amazing. And that this father was able to express Zakar Satayv so clearly and so beautifully was also very, very touching. But I had a ha'ara. And that is that why did the Rabbi Shalom make the kidney and the ear, we went such a random, like, shut off, like the kidney with the ear. It's like, well, you know, it's like, you know, in Yiddish there's an expression, arbis sumbant. means like uh, you have arbis, like chickpeas on the wall. Like, what's the connection? If somebody, like, asks you, like, instead of saying it's apples and oranges, they say arbis sumbant, like it's the, a chickpea and the wall. There's no shaykhus. What does a kidney have to do with an ear? So, I had a, or, and I think it's emmas. My ha'ara is that we know that the kidney is the seat of Eitzah. The Rabbani Shalom is and Kloyes Falev. Kloyes, the kidneys are always the seat of Eitzah. Whenever you speak about giving Eitzahs, it's always in the Psukim, it's always the, the, the embodiment of an Eitzah for whatever reason is a kidney, is Kloyes. The Kloyes and the Eizen are directly related to each other because the ability to give somebody advice is like connected like a Siamese twin to the ability for a person to hear. Because if you're not listening well to what the person is asking you, you cannot give Eitzahs. You can't give a good Eitzah because you're spacing out, you're not paying attention, you're not hearing all the details. You know, you already passed him before he even opens his mouth what the answer is. You have to listen. Because you can't dispense an Eitzah unless you hear what the problem is and you hear it well. And you do research into what he's asking, and not just do research into what he's into the topic, but your medayik and the way he says it. Sometimes, you know, a person comes to you and he says, I don't know if I should marry this girl or not. You could tell by the way he's asking the question whether he really wants to or not, whether he just wants you to rubber stamp his decision, or whether he wants you to, you know, argue with him and, 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 to, and to stop him from doing something that he knows is not a good thing for him. You could hear all of this if you're perceptive. And the kloyas, the eitzah, has to be affected to the ear. It's directly related. The ears and the kloyas are directly related. That was my ha'ara. That's the second thing that you have to know. If you're giving out advice, you have to listen well. You've got to mamish, take your ear and glue it to his mouth and hear him be medayik every single thing that he says. And only then, maybe, can you come up with a good decision, with a good eitzah. And the third thing is, of course, like anything else in life, you need a lot of siyat dishmayim. And that's when, you know, when people that are tzaddikim, people that are gedayim, anashim chashuvim, when they give that advice, you like to believe that there's a siyat dishmaya in what they're saying. A regular person, also we all have siyat dishmaya, we need siyat dishmaya, but you want that extra dose of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like giving you, like Ruach HaKadosh, when you have to make a decision that it's the right one. Just want to end with one Misa that's also a very important thing to know about giving out Eitzis. There's a Misa that happened with the Briskarov. The Briskarov was approached by a bunch of Balabatim from a certain shul who were looking for a new Rav. And they came to the Briskarov and they said, We heard that you have a very hush of a Talmud by the name of so and so. He says, Yes, I do. He says, Well, we're looking, they said, We're looking for a new Rav. And we wanted to know the Briskarov's Eitzah about whether or not he's somebody that we should hire for our Kehillah. The Briskarov looks at them and he says to them, this Talmud of mine 
You should grab him with both hands. He's the most amazing Talmud Chacham. He has such an amazing chain to him. He's wonderful with, with, you know, with his personality and with his etzis and with his dash and his and He's unbelievable. You should grab him. Of course you should take him as your rabbi. It's unbelievable. They were so happy. They all walked out like shining. And of course they walked straight to the guy's house and offered him the job on the spot. They wanted to be, you know, give him the Kesem Malucha. He said, listen, thank you very much. It's very flattering. But before I take any such position, I have to be Mi'ayit with my Rebbe. They said, okay, fine, no problem, go. Because they knew that the Briscoe was going to say exactly what he told them. So he goes to Briskarov's house alone, and he says, Rabbi, says, a group of Alabatim, you may have heard, they came, and they offered me to be their Rav, and I could talk, I use the Parnassa, and it's time for me, I think, to move on, and to, it sounds really good. He says, does the Rav agree? And the Briskarov looks at him, he says, absolutely not, you should, you should never take that position. Because they're, they're, they're not nice and they're going to they're gonna ruin your life and they're going to mamish make, you know, the rabbin is not a job for a nice Jewish boy. It's, they're going to, they're mamish going to make, make you into a nothing. They're going to make you into a shmata and, you know, and it's not, it's not a good place for your children to be raised and it's not good for your rabbits and it's not, it, don't take the job, no matter what. Okay? Fine. So he goes back to the Balabatim. And he tells the Balabatim, sorry, thank you, but no thank you, I can't take the position. Well, why not? This girl told me that I can't, it's not for me. What? They go running back to the Briskorov and they say, what, are you playing games over here? Like, what, what, to us, he said, we should grab him with both hands. As if, like, as if it's a perfect candidate for us. And to him, he's saying, no, well, what's going on? So Briskorov quotes the Rashi that we started with this morning. He says that when somebody comes to you for an Eitzah, you should give him an Eitzah HaIgenes Loi. The Medayik and the Rashi, the Roshna, the Sifra, is Eitzah HaIgenes Loi. Don't just say give him an Eitzah HaIgenes. Eitzah HaIgenes Loi, which means I have to custom tailor my Eitzah to the particular person that's asking it. He says, you came to me and asked me an Eitzah. You asked me, is he a good candidate? He's 100% he's the best candidate that you could get. He's awesome. When, and that was a great Eitzah for you. If you can get him, take him. He comes to me. I have to think for him. It's a horrible idea. That's not a stira. I have to give an Eitzah to every person based on... I don't have my own Nikki. I'm not playing God over here and telling you don't take him because I don't think it's good for him. I have to give you an Eitzah what's best for you. If it's good for you, I'm telling you to take him. If he asked me an Eitzah, I'm telling him what, that he shouldn't take the position. Eitzahs are not one size fits all. Just because I give one person an Eitzah does not mean that that same Eitzah applies or is going to work for somebody else. It's different. Every single person is a variable if they actualize an Eilam Katan. And I have to look at every person, listen well to the way they're asking the question, why they're asking the question, and give each person time and attention, siyat dishmaya, chachma, full disclosure, and I have to customize the Eitzah for that particular person. And sometimes knowing that person well is part of the job description. I have to know you. If I know you and I know what makes you tick, I know what you like, what you don't like, what's good for you, what's bad for you, then I can give you a good Eitzah. If I don't know you, 
and you're coming to me for an ass. Some, sometimes guys come to me, like new guys come to me sometimes, and they say, Rabbi, I, I don't know, I'm having this issue. That's why, listen, you know, I, I, I met you about five minutes ago. I don't know you. Hopefully, you know, over the course of time, we'll get a very close cash and I'll know you, and then I'll be able to know what makes you tick, and I'll know what you need and what you don't need. But I can't, it wouldn't be fair for you if I would say right off the cuff an Eitzah that's not, it's not for you. Because I have to know you a little better before I give you an Eitzah. These are very important, you said this through life, because throughout life you're going to find that you're either going to be on the giving end of Eitzahs or you're going to be on the receiving end of Eitzahs, and, and both. Because we all need, like the Chinook says, the way of the world is you have to go to people for Eitzahs. Nobody is so smart that they know everything about everything. You always need advice. And people need advice and they'll come to you and you'll need advice, you'll go to them. But you have to know who to go to and you have to know that when people come to you, you have to know what to say and how to say it and what's the absolute best way. And sometimes the best advice is to say, I can't give the advice because I'm not, I'm afraid that I'm not really suitable. Maybe go to somebody that's bigger than me. Go to somebody that's smarter than me, that has more tire than me. That's okay also. Just because somebody comes to you for advice, you don't have to give it. You can say, I can't. That's fine. But be very, very careful not to be in violation of this process. With Naiva, Laisita, and Mishra, you can mamish put stumbling blocks in front of people that could alter the entire destiny of their life with one bad Eitzah. And so it's something that we have to be extremely sensitive to because people's lives are very fragile. And we have to hold them delicately and with care and with love. And amidst Hashem, always have the siyat d'shmaya to make the right decisions throughout our life. Have a good chance.